My name is Marie Gervais, and I'm the host of the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast, where culture, communication, and context meet in the workplace. Discover what cultural influences have formed the careers of noteworthy leaders from around the world in a variety of professions by exploring the groups that shaped who they are today. Hello, Culture and Leadership Connections podcast listeners. Today, I would love to present to you Errol Voss, who is the marketing director and at age 23, manufactured and branded his own product line overseas in China and ran his first marketing campaign across North America. His product is called Quick Response and it's a flood protection device. He now lives in China. So first he started to market in China and manufacture in China. And this is where he now lives in the province of Gurjung. And not only did his campaign spark interest in marketing for him, it also converted over $35,000 in its first month. Today, Errol works with companies in China, USA, Canada, Australia, India, and Malaysia, developing marketing strategies that boost customer acquisition and maximize revenue. He's been featured in tech magazines, blogs, radio shows, podcasts, and conferences. The Daily Cup of Tech lists him as one of today's top digital marketing professionals, and Kurawa Magazine calls him a leading marketing mind in China. I am honored to be in the presence of such greatness, Errol. Welcome to the Culture and Leadership Connection. <laughs> Thank show. you. Thank you so much, Marie. And I'm honored that you call me greatness. So <laughs> Well, I'm always just amazed at people's accomplishments and the obstacles they've overcome and their accomplishments are just awe-inspiring. So um, yes. you are one of the greats. So tell us a little bit about your beginnings. And a little bit about your family, where you got started. Fill us in on some personal details about you. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a small city in Canada called Lethbridge. It's uh, about a couple hours from Calgary. And yeah, I attended university in Lethbridge. I grew up there my whole life, graduated with a psychology degree. And I think it was maybe two weeks before I graduated, I started working at a marketing company. And so I transitioned straight from my psych degree into marketing and I really enjoyed it. And that's kind of how I got my roots. I enjoyed the whole process of marketing and I was doing a lot of marketing for uh, industrial products. And that kind of gave me the idea, hey, I should make my own product and put my marketing skills to use. And that kind of, you know, set my whole journey of going to China and looking at factories and then eventually moving to China. And so now I'm uh, 30 years old. I live in uh, the province of Zhejiang with my wife and we recently had our first baby. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Hmm. How old is your new baby? It's been about eight weeks. So Oh, yeah, so very new. Born. Very new. Yeah. I, you must be a little bit sleep deprived. <laughs> you know, actually not really. I sleep pretty heavy. <laughs> ah, well then maybe your wife is doing the sleep deprivation <laughs> duty. <laughs> well, yeah. that's that's a really interesting story. I'm sure that the psychology background helped you with marketing. I, I think psychology and marketing are really intimately connected. They're practically twins, right? Don't you think? There is a lot of uh, intertwine there. Like one of my mentors was at the first marketing company I worked for. But then for psychology, my dad has also been a psychotherapist for, I guess, my whole life. He's been a psychotherapist. So I've kind of grown up around psychology as well. I see. I see. What about the rest of your family? Did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a sister, Erica. She is a year older than me. We went to the same university. 
And she is a, a senior policy analyst for the government of Canada. I see. And yeah. And she's also a psychology and neuroscience major as well. Mm-hmm. Well, the psychology just runs deep in your family, doesn't it? <laughs> well, you know, I think when I started university, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was kind of like, Dad, what did you do? And <laughs> just kind of followed the footsteps a bit, but mm-hmm. eventually found my own. Your own niche and your own path. So can you tell a couple of incidents from your childhood that stand out for you that you think made you into the person you are today? Yeah. When I was four years old, I started watching a TV show. And this is a big moment in my life. It was called Kung Fu the legend continues. And I was obsessed with this TV show. And so, yeah, I was, I loved it. I loved it. I asked my parents every day, put me into some Kung Fu. So eventually they found a a Taekwondo place in my city. And at the age of four, I started doing Taekwondo. And that was a really pivotal moment in life because I stuck doing, I've done Taekwondo my whole life, but it really taught me discipline, uh, consistency, And so that was a big life moment that really shaped me, I'd say. Hmm. That's really interesting. A lot of times children get obsessions with things, but then they don't continue it later. I remember one of my grandsons Mm -hmm. was obsessed with trains when he was that age. And it was just like a whole year of nothing but train and then a particular video game. But none of those have stuck. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But you started out with the the legend continues with Kung Fu, and then you went straight into Taekwondo and continued it throughout your life. Do you have a black belt or beyond? Yeah, I have a a second degree black belt in in Taekwondo. What does that mean, actually? Yeah, there's different levels. I think there's nine black belts, I think, and I have a, a second degree one. So it just means you've been doing it longer, maybe you a little bit better than a a normal black belt, I guess you could say. <laughs> mm, that's really interesting. And that I'm sure that's shaped you throughout your entire life and continues to shape you. Yeah, it really requires a lot of consistency. And I think having consistency is really important in life, no matter what you're doing. And so practicing consistency from such a young age, I think that really shaped me. Mm-hmm. What about as an adolescent or a young adult, what stands out as a formative incident for you? As a young adult, Well, you know what? I started getting really into music in high school, playing guitar. And from there, I met a lot of other musicians. And I feel like that was almost the start of my path towards marketing because music is very creative. There's a lot of freedom in music. And that's kind of the same vibe that I get with marketing as well. So that was a really big experience that I would also say shaped me today. And learning to play an instrument well requires the same consistency that Taekwondo would have required, but it also gives you more of a creative outlet. Exactly, right? It's all about the consistency and it's about that learning curve that you go over. And so, yeah, and that kind of translates into your career as well. I mean, you really need consistency and there's going to be lots of learning curves. There's going to be lots of mountains to climb. And that's kind of what things like martial arts or learning an instrument, they always give you something to strive towards being better. So I think those two things really helped me in life. That's true. The learning never ends, does it? The learning never ends, especially in marketing. So I want to ask you about your dad. Did he play guitar as well? Well, no, he didn't play guitar, but he supported my uh, hobby by just buying me a lot of guitars. (laughs) He always had a, hey, here's one for you. And then I think he practiced like when no one was watching, because sometimes he'd come out and he'd start playing stuff. And I was like, I know you've been practicing if you can play that. So I think he (laughs) secretly practiced to try to be a part of it. (laughs) The reason I'm asking you is because I have this theory, you know, almost everybody that I meet who's a psychologist or psychotherapist, if they're men, 
that women, it's different, but if they're men, they either play guitar really well or they have an interest in guitar that's beyond just a passing interest. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and surgeons, it's violin every single time. Yeah, and different sports for different professions as well. But for the instruments, I'm, I'm starting to develop this theory because I keep running into people from those professions that play those instruments and it just seems to be a pattern. That's really interesting. I wonder if that might have something to do with how you would market to people in those professions. But that's another story. So from the groups you were born into, what would you say has most influenced your sense of culture and self as a leader? Uh, for the groups I've been... Mm, well... I feel like that the group I was born into would be, I wouldn't say, I guess you could say more academic style just because of my family. And my family is pretty academic. So being born into that, you learn to explore your own thoughts. And a big part of, I think, developing is your parents. And that's one of the biggest, I mean, that's the main group you're born into, right, is people who uh, raise you. Mm -hmm. And growing up, I would hear stories from friends and acquaintances about their parents not really supporting them. Like a friend of mine would say, oh, I want to play music or join a band. And their parents would be like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. But with my parents and my whole family, and even the, my friends around me, it was always, yes, they always supported me with anything I wanted to do. And they never put a, a limit on anything. It was, if I had a, a big goal, or if there was something I wanted to do, I remember my parents were never a barrier. They were always, yeah, you can do it. They're supportive of pretty much everything. Yeah. And I think that really helped shape as well. Yeah, being born into a climate of support and encouragement, you know, like a yes, let's try it or yes, let's give it a whirl or yes, you can do it. And I really didn't notice that until I was a little older and I'd be talking with friends and I'd hear, oh, like my parents, I wanted to do this, but my parents wouldn't really let me get into that or they didn't think it was, they thought it was a bit of a waste of time. And I just kind of looking back, I said, and I was thinking, you know, my parents never said no to anything. So I think, yeah, growing up in a culture of, uh, of yes, yes, you can, and a culture of support is just so uh, imperative to growth and to success. Mm -hmm. And then in a climate of encouraging your thinking and encouraging you to articulate your thoughts and to pursue studies would have been another influence for you, right? Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So now, yeah. but you're also, if we're going to look more sort of geographically, you're born in Alberta, you were born in Lethbridge, which is a small city, it's a rural, it's South Alberta. In Canada, we tend to see the South and the North tend to be more extreme in their polarized political views. <laughs> so that could have been influence. Lethbridge, although it has a lot of different cultures in it, it has First Nations around it, but it's predominantly white. So that might have influenced you if you were conscious of it earlier on. There might be religious influence or social class influence or something else that's around you that may have influenced you. Does that spark any ideas? So I think the city of Lethbridge where I'm from, it is a middle-class city. And I didn't really think of it as being an influence until I moved out into China and I was suddenly I'm surrounded by skyscrapers and just some really big businesses, really big businessmen. It kind of blew my mind at first. I was like, wow, this is insane. Now I'm pretty normalized to it and it's almost changed my thinking. But I think when I was growing up in Lethbridge, I was almost oblivious to a lot of, of the world or a lot of big ideals, a lot of a, a big way of thinking, right? So I think uh, growing up in Lethbridge in a smaller city does uh, influence 
my thinking. In a smaller city and a middle-class home where you can more or less pursue what you would like without a lot of monetary obstacles in the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, what you were talking about going to China, that reminded me of a couple of times when I had a big social class uh, moment of awareness. And one was when I was uh, 19 and I went to France with my then fiance, um, now my husband, and we visited one of his relatives in Paris who belonged to aristocratic culture. And they had maids who were little like lace uh, aprons and little hats and like that. It was Mm -hmm. a shock to me. I had never experienced anything like that before. And I thought, wow, there's a big difference between the way I see things and they see things and and our experiences are very different. And then a few years after that, I was at a conference in Dallas, Texas, and the extremes of wealth and poverty were just in my face the whole time. You know, there you'd have many beggars on the street, like constantly. You had people sitting at the side of the railway tracks waiting to be hired for the day. And then people in, you know, shiny boots and high heels, you know, stepping over them uh, to go to their rich lifestyles. And it was like they were completely different worlds living parallel, but it was a shock to me in the same way that I saw the other shock. And I thought, wow, I'm just growing up in this middle-class thing. And I never experienced, you know, the depths of poverty or the heights of yeah. wealth. I don't yeah. Know. You know what? The way that you worded that is perfect. That's exactly how I felt when I came to China. And so living in a, a middle-class city in Canada, you don't have any extremes really, right? Everyone's doing okay. Uh, everyone's relatively the same, but yeah, in China, you'll see people who make a hundred times more per month than another person. They live in the same neighborhood, right? And it's just, there's some extremes that I wasn't really used to. And yeah, what you said is exactly the experience that I had as well. Mm -hmm. For me, it really influenced my sense of justice and injustice in the world. I don't know if it did for you or not. Well, it does make me feel a little bit guilty at times because the income that people make, it doesn't always reflect how hard you're working, right? So there's a lot of people who work extremely hard and they're not really making too much. And uh, I think it's just the the world that you're you're born into, right? And I like how you said there's two people living in almost in different worlds. Mm-hmm. So let's look at groups that you chose to belong to. So as you grew up, you chose to belong to the Taekwondo community, right? And the guitar playing mm-hmm. community, and then you went marketing community, and then there may have been other things too. I there's probably language involved because if you're living in China now, there's got to be some language and cultural changes that you would have needed to adapt to in China so that you could function there. So what groups that you've grown into have influenced you and in what way? Yeah, you know what? I would say the music community that influenced me the most by far. And a big reason is it encouraged creativity. And I use creativity every day for my career. I use creativity for problem solving, for management, for everything. And so that all stemmed from my choice to be around musicians. Also with the music community, they're very open, very supportive, and really wanting to help and help your musical exploration, right? So I think when you are around a mindset of people who are really encouraging your own growth, especially when it's creativity, it's always a good thing. So that choice to be around musicians, the music community really shaped me into who I am today. Mm-hmm. What kind of music do you like to play? Oh man, I play a lot of stuff. I guess you could sum it up as rock music, maybe indie rock uh, Reggae. I I like it all. There's so many different styles that I like. I'm kind of a chameleon when it comes to music. Cool. So anything that you feel has changed you so or that you've adapted into your life that you feel has been a change you've adopted into how you do things? Yeah, for sure. You know what? This is 
you know, we, we choose groups, we choose groups. When I moved out to China, it really changed me because back home, I was always around other people. I always w- was doing things in groups. I always went with the flow. When I came out to China, suddenly I'm away from my normal groups. And that really changed me. It kind of made me focus on myself more. It made me focus on my career more. And it really added an element of organization to my life because, well, I found at least when I wasn't giving energy to the group all the time, when I was spending my own energy on myself, it really transformed the way I do things. And I'd say it really transformed my behavior as well. I actually started finding that I like being by myself. I like spending more time doing things on my own. So I'd say just having the group kind Kind of separated from me was a really big changing point. Mm-hmm. It could have also been a response to cultural discomfort. It very well could have been. The only discomforts that I really feel is when I'm trying to communicate something that I can't. But, you know, there is a, a foreign community out here that kind of does offer if you need that companionship or that group. But I, I never really reached out to that. I was happy exploring doing things on my own or in a smaller group or just the group of people I work with. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what about temperament and personality? It's your temperament you're born with, and then personality you've added on, depending on how you face or don't face obstacles in your life, your education, your interests. What would you say you were born with temperament-wise? What have you added on or grown into personality-wise? Temperament-wise, I'd say I'm pretty tolerable. I'm pretty easy going up to a certain point. I feel like I can go from like zero to a hundred, but it takes me a long time, right? I feel that way. But I say my temperament is pretty stable. People who know me would say that I'm uh, pretty relaxed, pretty chill. Yeah. So I'd say as I've gotten a little bit older, my personality has become a little more strategic. And a big part of it is being a manager. When you're a manager, you can't let your emotions get in the way of the game of management. And so I'd say maybe when I was a bit younger or before I was managing people, if I felt a certain type of way, I would really let that shine through my actions. But now before I act on an emotion, I think first, think strategically and say, is this the best thing to do right now for the team, for the group right now? That's a great answer. Probably gaining intact and awareness of how what you do affects other people would be a part of that. Exactly right. Especially when you and the other people are all working towards a common goal or a common outcome. Mm -hmm. You put the outcome first rather than your emotions. Mm -hmm. So probably just choosing not to act on your emotions. So you can't not feel the emotion. You're just choosing not to act on them. You're choosing to suspend your judgment until you can make a wise decision. Exactly, exactly. And even just delaying your reaction. Mm-hmm. I've learned that you, you don't need to react right on the spot. If something makes you upset, maybe someone's not working as well. You really don't need to react on the spot. What you need to do is take a step back and think, well, what are the options here? What's the best route forward? And then doing that with a level head, right? Mm-hmm. Can you recall a time when you became aware that your understanding of the world was in fact specific to your culture and not the norm everywhere? Yeah, for sure. And and I think that's the power of moving to China is it's really its own ecosystem. It really has its own culture, its own way of doing things. And it's very different than the West. Can you think of a specific incident that maybe something that stands out? You know what? It's almost like a specific... Let me give you an example of when I was in Japan. Yeah, sure. (laughs) 
In Japan, I was thinking you don't see anyone doing anything that would cause people to lose face in public. And it was very conscious and a very strong sense of hierarchy and very specific norms that people needed to follow in order to be considered acting appropriately. And one time I was in a train and there was a guy who came on at one of the stops and he was drunk and he was taking his clothes off. And I thought, I wonder what the Japanese will do. And at that moment, a couple of security guards rushed over and one of them held something up to shield him while the other one helped him get his clothes back on. And then they very gently and quietly ushered him out of the train and quickly into a nearby cab and sent him wherever he needed to go. It happened in about two minutes and it was very gentle and there was no, you know, hey, what are you doing? There was and there was no just ignoring it and waiting to see if it would get, you know, the ostrich thing that people will often do in big cities. It was they tended to it very quickly but very discreetly. And the whole piece of holding up, I don't even know where he got it from. You know, how many security guards travel with pieces of fabric with them? I just held up this piece of fabric to shield him from the gaze of other people while they quickly put his clothes back on again. And I was so struck by that. I thought, wow. And then coming back to Vancouver, you know, somebody stepped out of line and, and was asking a question of somebody outside of the line. And immediately the security guard started yelling and pushing the person and saying, this is not what you should be doing. Get back in this piece. This is this part. So high security thing. And I thought that would never have happened in Japan. <laughs> so mm. I don't know if that strikes you, but that moment was particularly strong for me. Yeah, you know, I've had moments like that as well. And I think it's because I've been here for so long that it's like, recall a single moment. There's been so many. A big thing for me is I notice back home, it's really based on the individual. It's all about uh, the individual. We're, we do what's best for ourselves. And usually if it's in line with society, it's also a good thing. In China, it's really about the collective. And I notice this throughout a lot of daily life. For instance, driving. Back home, if you cut into traffic or you don't really follow a traffic rule or you cut someone off, you're going to get yelled at or honked at. You're going to know about it. But in China, it's almost like if someone cuts in or if you know someone goes against the rules of the road, but it makes sense why they would do it. Everyone kind of just accepts it. They're like, oh, we're all trying to get somewhere so that this is just the way it is. I notice that a lot in driving, just high traffic areas as well, like walking to a shopping mall, elevators. Back home, we really appreciate everyone's personal space. While in China, it's just, you know, we're all trying to get somewhere. Let's all cramp in and this is what's best for everyone. So I, I noticed the difference there. And I don't think any way is right in any way is wrong. They're just totally different ways. Yeah. Culture is not right or wrong. It just evolves the way it evolves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there may be things in culture that are definitely detrimental and things that are definitely positive and beneficial. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle that's just like, whoa, cool. Not like I would Very do well it. Very well said. <laughs> Very well said. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. So we're getting close to the end of the interview. And I'm just wondering when people want to work with you and they hire you for mm -hmm. something or within your company and you're, if you're managing and you have a team to work with, what brings out the best in you? What should people know about you that would bring out the best in you? I really like working with people who love what they're doing and who are passionate about what they're doing. And it, it's really easy to, at least for me, it's really, really easy to tell when someone is passionate and when someone is really orientated towards their goal. And so working with me and what makes it easy to work with me is if we're both aligned and we're both striving for something. I, I appreciate when someone else is striving and I also appreciate when someone can respect that about me as well. And so when you're around someone like that, they usually bring out the best in you. 
Mm-hmm. I was reading something about that just last night. I mean, there's mirror neurons, right? So if people are exhibiting a stronger focus or emotion, other people, their neurons automatically mirror it. So if you're passionate about it or someone else is passionate about it, then you would mirror that. It was really interesting. Exactly right. And the same could be, can work negatively as well, right? Yeah, and Yeah. Yeah. And I think I pick up on that. I pick up when I'm around people who aren't really enjoying what they're doing or who aren't really in tune. So I appreciate when I'm with someone who is. Ah, that's a great answer to that question. So here's your soapbox moment. What would you like to promote? I have my own website, www.arrowvast.com. It is marketing and business consultation. And if anyone's listening, if anyone, either you have your own personal brand, your own company, anything, get in touch with me. I, I always appreciate a good conversation. And usually even after just 15 minutes, I'll have ways for you to uh, improve and expand what you're currently doing. So that's my uh, my promotional piece right there. <laughs> so Errol Vass for our listeners is E-R-R-O-L and then V-A-S. Yes. So if you can find, it'll be in the show notes as well, but for people that are just listening to it, like I'm often listening to a podcast while I'm driving and not going and clicking on websites. So that's uh, good to know the spelling uh, if you're just listening and you want to check it out when you get to a spot where you can. So is Excellent. there anything else that you'd like to say, Errol? No, I enjoyed covering what we did. A lot of good uh, introspection and looking back on everyday life, something that I don't usually do. So it's been a, a good experience and I'd like to thank you for that. It's been a pleasure and I appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you so much, Marie. Have a great rest of your day. You as well. Errol Voss transitioned from psychology to marketing right around his graduation time and has been hooked on marketing ever since. The combination of discipline and consistency gained through taekwondo and guitar playing, combined with his insights into human nature and creativity, helped him establish a niche in the marketing world. I enjoyed his reflections on his life influences and how his move to China shaped and continues to impact him as he manages a team and a business in the province of Zhejiang. If you enjoyed listening to this interview, please share it with a friend and like and rate the podcast to help us increase our listenership. Thank you for listening and may culture and leadership connections continue to guide and inspire your day. Want to show some appreciation? You can buy me a coffee. What? How do you buy a coffee for a podcast owner? Well, there's a way. Let me explain. You go to buymeacoffee.com slash Marie Gervais. That's spelled M-A-R-I-E-G-E-R-V-A-I-S. So it's buymeacoffee.com slash Marie Gervais. And when you go to that website, what's going to happen is you'll get a chance to click on one, two, three, four, or five cups of coffee at $5 a piece to help contribute to the cost of the podcast. And yes, it's $5 for a cup of coffee because it's quality coffee for a quality podcast. So I hope you will contribute and you'll help us to reduce the costs of the podcast by going to buymeacoffee.com slash Marie Gervais. Thank you in advance for your generous contribution.